Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. So today we are beginning a brand new series called, What Would Jesus Undo? What would Jesus undo? How many of you uh, grew up in the 90s or the early 2000s and remember those WWJD bracelets? Anybody, even if you've ever worn them, have heard of them or seen them? Uh, There were these corny little fabric cloth bracelets that you could buy at any Christian bookstore. How many remember Christian bookstores? (laughs) Um, So uh, back in 1896, there was a pastor named uh, Charles Sheldon who wrote a book called In His Steps. And that book has sold more than 30 million copies, okay? Now, in that book, he would tell stories or various um, personal life situations, average, everyday circumstances, and then he would encourage the readers in his book, In His Steps, to ask the question, what would Jesus do, right? That's where this came from. The idea of, of the WWJD bracelet came from this book, In His Steps, written in 1896. And then in the 90s, uh, right, the craze comes out and, and someone thought ingeniously to, to put on, you know, print on these, these little bracelets, what would Jesus do? And the idea was to inspire people to be thoughtful of that. When I'm at work and someone ticks me off, what would Jesus do instead of what would Jared do, right? That was confusing for me, by the way, because my name is Jared, and so oftentimes I had to really think hard. But, and then it, and it went out of fashion, right? So the idea that that's fine. But I thought about this. What are some things that Jesus would undo? What would Jesus undo? You know, in our society particularly, there's a lot of people who aren't even Christians who say that they like Jesus, right? They like what Jesus has said. In fact, Mahatma Gandhi even said that. He said, I like your Jesus and I like your teachings. He just didn't like the Christians who followed Jesus. And we see that all the time here in the city, particularly in the East End, where there's a lot of people who are not religious or would say they're spiritual or maybe just have no interest at all in faith. But many of them, if you were to talk to them about Jesus in his teachings, most of the time they'd be like, yeah, I mean, it was fine. It was cool. Like Jesus was a good dude, loved people, right? But so we like to talk about the things that Jesus talked about, loving the poor and forgiving others and not judging, all those kinds of things. But what are some things that Jesus would undo? There's actually a lot of passages of scripture in the Bible, in the New Testament, where Jesus was talking about things that frustrated him or things that broke his heart or things that caused him dissatisfaction or would bother him. And so in this series, we're going to be going through a few different passages, and we're going to look at areas of our lives that tie us all up in knots. And Jesus addressed those things, and we're going to seek to see what would Jesus undo? What would Jesus undo? I'm going to start with a story, as I often do. A few years ago, my son, uh, at Christmas time, really wanted a Nintendo DS. He was so excited for this. He would talk about it for, for months. He, Dad, I want a DS. I really want this DS. Like, you know, he, he was a hand. If you don't know what a DS is, it was a handheld, an earlier version of the Nintendo Switch, really. This idea of a handheld um, game system that you could take with you wherever you went. And so he was excited for it because it was another way that he could play video games on a car ride or whatever. Well, so Heather and I uh, spent the months leading up to Christmas um, saving money. We even sold items. 
Like we sold things that we didn't really use anymore or maybe something that was like, well, he really wants this. They cost like $300. And so we thought, let's just sell some things to make up some money. We got him one in a color that we thought he would really like. We found a couple games that we thought he would be excited about. Christmas morning comes and it's the last gift, right? It's the Santa gift in our house. We were super excited about him opening this gift. So he had gotten a remote-controlled car that he was excited about, and then we're like, oh, man, if he's excited about this remote-controlled car, imagine what he's going to do when he opens this DS. So he finally gets there, and it says, to Lincoln from Santa, right? Which is just code, obviously, in our family for, like, at the end of, like, with our, it's like the big gift, right? So, so he opens this up, and we're so excited, and he goes, cool, And I was like, this is what you wanted, right? Yeah. And then he kind of puts it down and looks at the remote control car and, and starts like, you know, messing with it. I'm, I'm ripping all the boxing out and, you know, like those plastic pieces that are underneath to hold it on the thing. He's like gotten scissors and he's trying to get in there. And we're looking over at this little box, this like somewhat heavy box that I know has a valuable electronics device inside of it. And then all day long, it's after Christmas, we cleaned up, everything was, was cleaned up, and we're excited, you know, that, that sort of after Christmas morning moment where you're sitting down, taking in the things that you got and looking at it. Well, the DS is sitting on like a lampstand over here, and he's like, Dad, can I go outside and play with this my remote control car? Days go by, and he's barely even touched the thing. In fact, we eventually just sold the DS. Now, I tell that story because what we're talking about today is, is, is a tough topic. It's one that will be challenging for all of us, one that I struggle with as well. It's called spiritual indifference. In this case, my wife and I put a lot of thought into it. We gave a gift that we thought was valuable, that we spent money on, that we sold something for, that something that took an effort, and the individual who we gave it to really kind of just didn't care about it right? And I think about this. Imagine Jesus for a second. The Bible paints a picture that Jesus was with God in the beginning. He is God. John 1.1 1, 1 says that the Word was with God and was with Him at the beginning. And it talks about how Jesus was the, the beginning of all foundations of the earth and the universe. He was in heaven and steps down to earth, lives a holy life, a perfect life, walks around and shows us as human beings how we can live life to know God and live it to the fullest, right? He does that. And then not only does that, at the end of his life, he endures a horrific torture scene where he gives his life with capital punishment for us. Ultimately, because of that, we experience forgiveness of sins, right? We can live life to the fullest as we align ourselves with the principles of God and how he's created life to live. We have the living word of God at our fingertips, the Bible literally at our fingertips on iPads, right? We have that. We have access to God through prayer. We, it charges us with spiritual purpose, right? It gives us the same spirit that resurrected Jesus from the grave lives inside of us. And we can go day in and day out without even having Jesus cross our minds sometimes. What would Jesus undo? Jesus would undo spiritual indifference. And this is not new to our generation. In fact, Jesus wrote 
uh, a letter to seven different churches in the book of Revelation that we're going to look through in this series a little bit. Um, in fact, but it's not new because this was 2,000 years ago, but it's still for us today. Did you know that, that uh, people call our generation, this current time, the meh generation? Have anybody ever heard that, the meh generation? Think of it this way. Have you ever said the words meh, like M-E-H, in a text or like just in person? Here's an example of how it might go. Hey, what'd you think of that movie? Meh. Right? Or, hey, what was that restaurant? How did you like it? Meh. Right? This is the answer that we give all the time. Meh. That's who we are as a people group. It's so much so that we are underwhelmed by everything these days. Hardly anything anymore gets us excited and called to action or, or, or a passion about something. So much of what we do is indifference, the meh generation. And Jesus is writing a letter in Revelation chapter 3 where we're going to uh, read about one particular city called Laodicea. Laodicea. Now, Laodicea was a wealthy city, okay? So we'll understand this because it's like America in a lot of ways. Wealthy, it has things. Now, um, 35 years earlier, the city was actually destroyed by an earthquake. So everything that they knew was destroyed, but now they had rebuilt, okay? They had rebuilt this city of Laodicea, and now there are theaters everywhere, stadiums everywhere, lavish public baths everywhere, shopping centers. Think of it like a modern-day Dubai or like a Las Vegas, right? That's what we're thinking of. This kind of a city was an entertainment center, a tourist destination, a place that people wanted to be, right? But they had one major problem, and that was they had an inadequate water supply. They couldn't get their water into the city. They didn't have a a well or springs. There was no water in the area, so they actually had to pipe water in from outside sources. And they would build these elaborate aqueducts, which we know the Romans were famous for creating the aqueduct. So they put the aqueducts in from two main locations. One was a town called Colossae, which is actually the letter of Colossians comes from, right? So Colossae. And then the other was a town called, or an area called Heriopolis. Now the difference is, is that, that the mountain of Colossae meant that cold water came from the mountains. So in the wintertime or in the cold evenings, snow-capped mountains would melt and then send cold water down into the aqueducts. But on the converse of that, Heriopolis was a hot spring. So they built aqueducts from both of these places to funnel water into the city, right? But what would happen is, is by the time the water got to Laodicea, it was dirty and it was tepid and it was lukewarm. So Jesus writes a letter to this city of Laodicea, to the church there, and says to them, and uses words like he did with his parables, or he was talking to farmers, so he used a lot of farming words, like illustrations. In this case, he's writing to what people would have known, and uses an illustration of what he's trying to say to them through the concept of what they would know of as their life. So Revelation chapter 3, Verses 15 and 16, we're going to read together. If you have a Bible, pull it out. If you have a, a smartphone or a tablet, get the, the Bible app, the version Bible app. You can take that with you anywhere you go. We also have free Bibles for you at the Connection Center, so you have no reason to not. I want you to follow along with us. Revelation chapter 3, if you don't know what Revelation is, it's the last book in the New Testament, last book in the Bible. Revelation 3, verses 15 and 16, Jesus is now talking to them about this lukewarm water. And he says, I know your deeds. I know what you do. I see it. I I see who you are. I see the things you care about. I see where you spend your time, your money, your energy. I see that. And I know that you are neither hot nor cold, right? 
What is he talking about? He's like, you see that water that comes from the mountain? You see that water that comes from the hot spring? By the time it gets here, it's lukewarm. Everybody in the city complains about, man, I just wish that I could have a cold bottle of Dasani water. Like that's, that's what they're thinking. And Jesus is saying, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. And those are harsh words from Jesus, right? This is not the Jesus of love your neighbor as yourself. This is not the Jesus who, who we see, you know, talking to the woman who was caught in adultery, who doesn't bother saying anything to the dude, by the way, and, uh, and then tells the woman that she's forgiven, go ahead, go and sin no more. Like, this is what we love about Jesus. And then Jesus says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Like, whoa, Jesus. What is he saying here? He says, you are spiritually stale. You are depressingly detached. He says, after everything that I've done for you, after the way that I've shown you life can be, after the gift of the gospel and grace that I have given you, what I've called you to, what I've empowered you with, you don't even seem to care, and I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I want to. In fact, the Greek word there for spit you out is actually the word for vomit. Like, why would they not use the word vomit? Probably because they thought that the readers would be offended by, by just the graphic nature of the language, right? But Jesus is essentially saying, this turns my stomach, right? Have you ever drank warm water? It's nasty. It's gross, right? Like cold water is super refreshing. And hot water, you can put in tea and coffee, right? It can have medicinal purposes. Like if you can use it, it unlocks properties in a chemical compound, all those kinds of things. But lukewater just sucks. It's awful. It's terrible. And Jesus is saying, it doesn't just break my heart that you're indifferent. It turns my stomach. And I want to spit you out. I want to vomit. It makes me want to throw up. How are you doing spiritually? right? Jesus would undo spiritual indifference. There are two causes of spiritual indifference that we see. Jesus is going to go on and kind of talk to them. First, he kind of smacks them across the face and is like, wake up, right? And then he says, here's why I'm yelling at you, right? What causes spiritual indifference in your life and in mine? What well, goes on in Revelation 3.17, we talk about the illusion of self-sufficiency. Verse 17 says, you say, he's talking to them again, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. I mean, that sounds like us, right? Like, I don't need, I have everything I need. I I can't tell you how many times I've tried to share the gospel with someone or have coffee with somebody who's not a Christian, and they're like, why do you do this, man? Like, why do you do what you do? And like, there's just like a a wall up over them because they don't care because they have the illusion of self-sufficiency. Why do I need God? I'm good. Like, everything's fine, right? He says, but you do not realize You are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. What what he's really trying to say is here is you have all of this stuff, and you have this illusion of self-sufficiency, but what you don't understand is you realize, you don't realize that you're missing what matters most. Your soul is in a condition that that is broken. You have no meaning, no purpose. You're like, yeah, but I like, I like go to the, to, the, to, the, to the shelters and I, 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 I donate money and I donate food and I recycle and all. And those are good things, but like they're not in the grand scheme of all eternity, like the billions and billions and billions of years that our soul will exist, right? Like we think that all the things that we have are sufficient for us, but we've also seen stories that at any moment they can come crashing down, 
right? And Jesus is saying that. It's this illusion of self-sufficiency. We're like, I'm good. I've got my coffee. I go to Starbucks. I'm good. I have my iPhone. I've got the newest one, actually, so now I can unlock my phone with my face, right? Be like, I've got Amazon Prime. I have no cares in the world. I can order things, and it's here in two days. Sometimes one day, if I go to the locker, right? Be like, man, this is good. I've got my Snuggie. I'm good, right? I got Netflix. What more do I need? And Disney Plus is coming out this fall. Come on, guys. Like, I'm good, right? That's how we feel. He says, you have worldly wealth, but we are spiritually void. We're spiritually bankrupt. Your lives are full of stuff, which are empty of meaning and what really matters. So the first cause of spiritual indifference is the illusion of self-sufficiency. The second one is distractions of this world. So Jesus told this parable in the Gospels of where he was a farmer, back to the farming kind of concept, and he was saying a farmer was throwing seed. He was throwing it around trying to plant. I mean, this is before, I guess, they really understood that you could, like, dig holes and really do it, like, with a very specific way. So he was just kind of throwing seed everywhere. Some of it landed on, like, you know, on the, on the ground, like in the path. Some of it actually landed where it was supposed to go. Well, one of, the, one of those four categories that Jesus was talking about was seeds that actually grew. They started to grow a little bit, you know, which represented the Word of God. Jesus was saying later on to his disciples, he says, that the, like sometimes people hear the Word of God. They hear a message like this, and the Holy Spirit will speak and convict them. You ever been to church like that? Or maybe, like, if you're new to this, maybe even right now, you're like, wow, yeah, like, I feel something. And what Jesus is saying in this verse uh, about the, the complacency, the indifference, is distractions. He's saying, because he, he actually says that the path, that the, the seed goes out, and it actually starts to grow, but then things start to change choke it out, right? It's like, he says the weeds and all of these things, the cares of life start to come and choke it and kill the plant that was growing. What Jesus is saying is that this is your story. This is my story, guys. He says, I hear the word, right? I'll go to church or maybe I'm reading the scriptures and God will say something to me like, Jerry, this is something I want for your life. And I'm convicted about it. Maybe some of you are in the room, you're like, yeah, I've been there. Like, I've heard, I can remember very clearly God inspiring something in me or, or a friend challenging me, and I knew that the Lord was using that, right? And then I start doing stuff. I start putting things in place. Maybe I, I say, you know, I'm going to get up a little bit earlier, and I'm going to read my Bible every day. Or maybe you're like, I'm going to start giving to this charity, or I want to sponsor a child in another country, or I want to start tithing at church, or whatever it could be, anything, right? It could just be a new attitude, or I'm going to stop talking negatively, or whatever, right? You feel like that, and you start taking those steps, and then what happens? You start to see some spiritual growth, then life happens. I've got bills to pay, right? I've got places to be. I have people to meet. I have dishes that I got to do. Laundry piles up all over the place, and when I finish with laundry, it's not done. So my wife says, I've got kids. I got to take to practice, right? Soccer games, baseball games, basketball games. I've got a work meeting, an endless work meeting. I have things that are constantly coming up. I got to get the oil changed. I got to be a part of the PTO. I'm on a committee at work. And even some of us have incredible things, like causes that we really care deeply about, and they're good things, but again, they can become distractions. We want to work to save the unborn. We want to save the whales, or maybe it's even just stop using plastic, and we donate our time and our energy. You know, whatever it could be, wonderful concepts, but they can choke out the word, right? Distractions choke out what's going on, and it's not like we don't care. We just got distracted, and we can say, I still love Jesus. I'm just tired right now, and I want to relax. Like I just, so one of the reasons of indifference comes from distractions of the world. I heard a quote today. 
Actually, I'm sorry, this week. I don't know who, who wrote it, but I, I thought it was really interesting. It says, feeling numb isn't the absence of feeling, but the sensation of feeling too much at once. Now, I don't know physiologically if that's accurate, but I think it's interesting. The concept of you can be numb because of a medical situation, but you can also be numb because of too much stimulus. You're, you just... And I think this is a case of that. Sometimes our indifference, spiritually or even in the world, comes because we have so much that we're engaging with that we just become numb to some things that are the most important things. Two causes of spiritual indifference, the illusion of self-sufficiency and distractions of this world. I see a common thread in churches in our society today. We want a little bit of Jesus, just a little bit of Jesus. Right? We want a little bit, just enough to make us feel better. Again, people like Jesus. They like, they like being loved. They like coming to church and getting a donut, coffee, a friendly smile. Right? We all like that. But not so much that it moves us to grieve over our sinfulness or inspires us to pursue Jesus and his glory and to honor him every day of our lives. What would Jesus do, undo? Lukewarm indifference. In fact, he said it didn't just break his heart. It wanted to make him vomit. It turned his stomach. So how do we know if we're living with this kind of indifference? And there's six really quick indicators. And these are things that I've observed from my life, but also from other lives in my over 15 years of pastoral ministry. Living with lukewarm indifference. Number one, we're more concerned with impressing people than living for God. In fact, uh, in, the, in the Bible, Timothy writes a letter and says in it, or Paul writes a letter to Timothy, I'm sorry, and he says that in the end times, like down the road, not today, but the day that um, like maybe that we're living in now or that he was looking ahead to, he said people will be lovers of themselves. And then Jesus even said, woe to you when all people speak well of you, right? This idea of, of being so consumed that we can never be completely living for God and what God thinks of us because we're so consumed by other people. So one of the ways that we become spiritually indifferent, one of the ways to know that we're spiritually indifferent is if we are more concerned with impressing people than living for God. Number two, we're obsessed with life on earth rather than eternity. You know, it's like what I have now over what I am called to do, right? To love the world, to love the Father, uh, and, and to love him and not what's this, right? It's oftentimes we think more temporally rather than eternally. Number three, we rationalize sin, and we live without truly fearing God. And the word fear of God is a, is a phrase that we don't really like to say because we like to think of God as a, as a loving God, and he is. But he's also the all-powerful creator of the universe and therefore deserves reverence. And he could, should he desire, to smite us with just a thought, right? The, the concept of just knowing that a holy God demands righteousness from us, right? This idea of that. And it's like, well, my sin's not as bad as other people. I mean, I'm not really hurting anybody. It's just like, it's just one thing. It's not a big deal, right? We say things like selfishness. That's not big. I mean, everybody gossips. I'm only looking at porn. I'm not actually like doing it. Like these are the things, right? So number three, we rationalize sin and we live without truly fearing God. Number four, we believe in Jesus, but rarely share our faith. Jesus said, if you confess me, you'll know that I'm, you're one of my disciples. Number five, we only turn to God when we need him. That's another indicator that we might be spiritually indifferent. You know, rather than seeking him daily, we run to him when it benefits us. I need you, God, because right now, if you don't show up, like that song we sang this morning, right? I'm not enough unless you come. Like, 
That should be a daily prayer of God. Like, I know I'm not enough just as who I am. And you're, you will make, make up the rest. But oftentimes, we don't even think about God at all until, like, the, the house is about to fall in. You know what I mean? Like, that's the idea here, that he's a tool that we use when we need it, not a God that I fear and that I worship. And number six, that we're actually not much different from the world, a really powerful indicator of spiritual indifference is if we're not that different from the world that we live in. We think about it this way. And I want you to hear my heart here, okay, because I'm going to try to clarify, but I know that some of you will naturally go to a place that I don't mean. We watch the same movies. We enjoy the same music, right? We read the same magazines, and some of that is fine. It's different for each person, I'm sure. But then what ends up happening is that because of those sources, we often end up with the same morals, right? Before long, we raise our kids the same way, right? These things begin to happen. We start to spend our money the same way. And in fact, did you know that in the church itself, worldwide, the divorce rate is the same as the divorce rate in outside of the church world? We're not that different because of an indifference inside of us. What are we? Without ever intending it, we wake up one day and we realize that we are more spiritually indifferent. In fact, I want to tell you a very personal story. Last year, 2018, was a year of, of heavy indifference for me. Not intentionally, and most of us, it's not intentional. My life was incredibly busy. My wife was in school, um, and we both worked full-time jobs, and we were um, reorganizing our finances at the church, and I had just taken on a full-time job outside of the church and pastoring at the same time. Um, we were hanging on by a thread, essentially just, you know, making sure that we had enough time to, to see each other and, and to, you know, just make sure that things were, were happening at home. But I will tell you that there were various areas of my life that resulted in some level of indifference. Whether it be, I'm just too tired to spend time with my kids. Or my wife comes home and, you know, she comes home from, from school and a long day of work and then doing something for the church. And maybe we were supposed to spend some time together, but instead we just veg out on the couch and watch TV and don't talk to each other, right? The church, as a pastor of our church, I just did not have the mental bandwidth. I did not have the spirit. I was not tied in to my spirituality the way that I should have been. And our church suffered for it in a lot of ways. Because, because your pastor had partially lost some of that, that intentionality, some of that passion over because my life was crazy, because I was distracted by things in my life. This is a very real understanding of how this happens. When things get in the way, it's not that I don't love you and it's not that I don't love Jesus. The reality is that I just was tired, exhausted, Right? Our, our like, life gets in the way. I've got bills to pay. I've got a job I've got to take care of. And before I know it, I'm not spending the time I need to in prayer. I'm not worshiping on the way to work as I used to it sometimes, right? All of these types of things. This is was, this was a hallmark of the first half of 2018. And I'm ashamed to say it, but this is reality. And I would venture to guess that anybody in this room could put their hand up. I'm not going to ask you to do that, but could say, I've been there. I've been in a place like this in my own life in my own faith, where for whatever reason, it's not that I don't love Jesus, but man, I have certainly not been focused on what was most important in life. Didn't want to sometimes. I was overwhelmed other times. What happened? Life chokes out the passion. And some of you have been living with spiritual indifference. Eh. You want to go to church today? Eh. You want to be a part of a life group? 
where you can grow in relationships and truly understand what it means to experience God in your regular life? Eh. You want to use the gifts that God has given you to welcome other people to church and, and, and put a smile on your face and, and, and be a part of what God is doing in this community? Eh. Do you want to be generous? Do you want to use the resources that God has given you so that other people who don't know him can experience his goodness? Eh. I'd rather go out to lunch today. You want to lead someone to Christ? Eh. I have to go car shopping. Now that's, I should realize that, two of my family members bought cars this weekend. (laughs) I wrote this message before that, let's just be clear. (laughs) Indifference doesn't just break Jesus' heart, it makes him want to vomit. What would Jesus undo? He would undo spiritual indifference after the gift that he's given us. We just kind of put him him and, and what he's done and what he expects of us, what he calls us to, to the side. I understand this is hard to hear. And you're like, man, Jared, we had really good encouraging messages the first two months of church. And for those of us who are followers of Christ and we realize that we're struggling with spiritual indifference, what do we do? What can we do? How do we reignite that fire? How do we consistently live with a passion for Jesus? How did I get it back? Let's be honest. Life gets in the way. It chokes it out. So we got to figure out how to reignite the spiritual fire. And normally I would give you this list. I would give you good advice, which any pastor would give. And it is good advice. I would normally say things like, get in the word of God on a regular basis and and read it and, and allow it to read you. I would say, pray, spend more time in prayer. I would say things like witness to people. I would say, spend time intentionally, try to tell people about God. I would say, fellowship with other believers, join a life group. I would say give. I would say worship. I would say turn from your sins. All of these things, right, that we always say. And those are good advice pieces. But here's what I would say is the problem is, is that I would give all of those to you. You're going to end up feeling overwhelmed and you'll end up doing none of them. And this is true of all of us, myself included. So what can we do? Instead, let's try this. And I've experienced this in my life. Some days I screw it up or I fail or I don't do it all the time, but I'm really working on it. Try this. Write this down. If you're taking notes, write this down. Every day, do something that requires faith. Every day, make it up in your mind that I'm going to do something that requires faith to reignite the passion, the fire. What happens is that we get caught up in our routines of life. <clears throat> and then at the end of the day, we think, what did I do today? Did any of it matter? But instead, now we can look and say, I did one thing. What is one thing that I did that took faith? Dana, if you want to come up, you can come back up here and begin leading. Think of it this way. Here's some ideas. Maybe stand up for something, even though that you know you're going to be mocked for it. Maybe you give when it's a stretch for you to give, that you're going to trust God for this area of your life that you feel like you should give to. Maybe you should apologize to someone. Maybe you forgive when you don't even feel it. This all requires faith. Faith that, but what if I say sorry and they don't say sorry back to me? What if I forgive them and they still hurt me again? It requires faith. Maybe it's volunteering to pray out loud at your next small group. Maybe for some of you, it's going to a small group for the first time. Maybe it's reaching out to someone that God has put on your heart, even though you don't know if they like you anymore, or maybe that they'll even ever get back to you. Perhaps it's, it's exposing yourself to something that breaks your heart. Some of us in the room, we hide from the things that are the most hurtful because we don't want to feel that pain. 
Maybe it's praying for something that you feel like is completely impossible. Praying for the thing in your life that you feel like there's no way it could happen. Maybe it's attempting something you could never do without God's help. Why does it matter? Because scripture teaches us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's what the Bible says. Without faith, it is impossible to to please God. And James says in the book of James that faith without works is dead. So we have to live our lives as people who will take steps towards God in faith. If you feel like your life is completely just indifferent, you feel like I don't, I don't, I don't have a passion in my faith. I don't have a passion in my heart. Then don't, don't, I mean, you could try to do all these other things and I think you should, but just make it a point to say every day, I'm going to try to do something that requires faith. Christ is life and faith brings life. Living by faith is living for what lasts. And suddenly what's going to happen, and I've seen this even in my own life, is that we're not just turning to God when we need him. We're relying on him every day. And now we're turning to him because we realize that he is the true source of life. We're more concerned with what God is calling us to do than what people think about us, right? We suddenly are now living for what lasts rather than not what doesn't last. Instead, we are stopped rationalizing our sin and now we're confessing it to God and we, we become more holy and we start living out of power because we're seeing him do things in power in our lives. We, we now become a little bit more bold in our spirit. We're willing to talk to people and people now become amazed by your boldness because they've seen you transform in their life. And now you turn to God when you need him daily, moment by moment by moment. And you're different you're a follower of Christ, one day you're going to wake up and you're going to go, man, I am so different than I was six months ago because of this. And here's the problem. We're going to close here. It's so much easier to not care. It's easier to not care. When we get spiritually engaged, relationally engaged with what matters most to God's heart, oftentimes it hurts. And it can be really difficult when we're tuned in. It's hard for us to focus at work when we know that our friend is suffering from cancer. You know what I mean? Like Whatever that circumstance, it's so hard and it can be difficult and be painful. And there are such division and there's such horror that takes place in our world. And, and when we tune into it and experience some level of how God feels about this type of thing and we seek to be used at least to say, God, is there something I could do today about this? Right? It hurts. It's painful. And the lie that we most believe is that it's easier not to care. It's better not to get involved. But here's the reality. It's better to hurt with a purpose than to exist without one. It is better to hurt with a purpose than it is to exist without any purpose. Just stand with me. What would Jesus undo? Spiritual indifference. What can we do? Close your eyes. We're going to pray and sing a song and finish with communion this morning. What can we do every day? At least one thing that requires faith. Make a decision. If you feel like you're living with an indifference in your spirit and your heart, and you, you say, I don't want that. Jesus was calling that out. He was saying, this is not who I called you to be. Every day, at least do one thing that requires faith and watch as your spiritual fire returns. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we hear your words, your fatherly words, the words of discipline, like a son or a daughter who comes home from school with a report card that shows it's a lack of effort. 
You love us, but yet you still correct us. I thank you for that, that you discipline us to create us into the people you've called us to be. God, today I repent of my indifference. I repent of the times where I've lost my passion. I allowed the world to either seduce me into self-sufficiency or I became distracted by life. And if you're in the room today and you feel the same way, just tell them, I'm sorry for my indifference. I repent of that. Repentance is saying sorry, but it's also turning from it. And now saying, I'm going to choose to try to do something that requires faith each day. I'm going to start there. I'm going to start there. God, remind us. Remind us every day. And it'll be at different times, all the time, when a circumstance or a situation comes up, just prod us in our hearts, Holy Spirit. We give you permission. Just say that, God, I give you permission to prod me and to remind me of when I should step out in faith related to whatever that thing is. We choose to follow you. God, undo spiritual indifference in our life. going to move into our communion moment. On your chairs or underneath your chairs, there should be a communion elements, a piece of bread and juice. We're going to keep this just kind of atmosphere, the spirit of just the sacred moment of where the Lord has spoken to us today. He's challenged us. And this morning, I just want to direct us to the idea of communion today, how it links in. It's this idea of Jesus paid for what he paid for on the cross, why we celebrate communion, why we eat the bread and drink the juice is really so that we could break free from indifference, so that we could break free from these things. Our world struggles with it. It has no answer and no hope. And instead, Jesus has said to us, I've given everything for you. And our proper response is, I identify with who you are. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a piece of bread. He was having a special meal with his closest of disciples and he he broke the bread apart and he said, take this and eat it. For this bread symbolizes my body that was broken for you. Take this and eat and do it in remembrance of me. And right now, this morning, I pray that as we eat this bread, that spiritually, supernaturally, God would break indifference out of our hearts. Let's eat together and identify with his broken body. Break it off of me, God. Break it off of our church. Break it off of your church all over the world. He went on and he took a cup and he passed it around to each of them and he said, take this and drink for this cup symbolizes my blood, a new covenant in my blood. Up to this point, forgiveness of sin and salvation was an act of sacrificing something on the altar and they do it over and over and over again. And there was no amount of penitence that could ever be given that would set them free. But Jesus comes. He gives his life on the cross as a perfect sacrifice. And now it's just once and for all. If you identify with Jesus Christ, if he is your savior, this is not what causes you forgiveness today. But when we drink the juice, we're saying, I understand I am forgiven for all time because of what Jesus has done. So let's drink together and remember him that we are forgiven. Let's drink today. Praise you, God. Thank you. So God, as we close this service, just ask that we would be cognizant of this all week long. 
we would remember that you've given us an incredible, wonderful gift that you paid dearly for. And not out of guilt or out of shame or out of some kind of coercion, but instead help our hearts to be one of gratitude, of thankfulness, of remembering what you have rescued us from. And from that place, let us live a life of passion and excitement and to choose each day to step out in faith at least once per day. We ask that you would bless the food as we're about to eat. Let us have a great afternoon just enjoying each other's company, building relationships with each other and with you. I pray that you'll bless the life groups this week, the conversations that will take place. Break off indifference in our lives, God, and let us be a true light in the darkness of our community. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.